Welcome to YMBA, a podcast brought to you by UCLA Anderson. I'm your host, Alex Grodnick. In this episode, we learn how the critical communication skills that MBA students are taught to master, such as negotiation tactics and the ability to work with people from different backgrounds, are just as important for space exploration as is the actual rocket science behind it. We also delve into the Mars 2020 rover expedition and come to understand how certain universal truths are at the bedrock of everything we do, be that looking for life in our solar system or starting your next business. Without further ado. Hi, my name is Al Chen. I'm the Systems Engineering and Integration Manager for the Mars Sample Return Program. Very excited to talk with you today, Al. Before we blast off, I'd love to hear exactly what the Mars 2020 mission is and what it's all about. We've been kind of uh, building up to this moment, to this moment of uh, trying to do the Mars sample return. But really, that, that whole search is about trying to find the evidence of past life on Mars. You know, was Mars ever really habitable? And if so, uh, can we find any evidence of that past life and bring that back home here to Earth? And uh, that's kind of been the theme of the uh, Mars program for the last 20 or 30 years or so, was going to start off basically you know, from the basics. Can we find water? One of the basic building blocks of life. Um, and we had this mantra, follow the water. Um, so that's what those missions were uh, were about early on um, in the Mars program. Um, once we found evidence that liquid water was on the surface of Mars, the next question was, were the building blocks of life there? Uh, can we find things like organics, the things that uh, life also needs to, uh, to, to take hold besides water? Um, and check, we found those too uh, on the surface of Mars and from evidence uh, from above with, uh, with satellites going overhead. Um, so now the, uh, the, the big next step is, can we find evidence of that past life itself? Um, instead of just uh, finding the building blocks of life or water, let's go for it all now and see if uh, we can find that evidence of past life. I love that mantra, follow the water. As you said, water is the basic building block of life and acts as a compass when exploring alien planets. As a thought experiment, what's the basic building block of your life or career? Whatever it is, you will only benefit from identifying and clearly labeling what your water is. All right, let's get back to Al. Al, as you mentioned, you are the entry, descent, and landing lead for the Mars 2020 project. How do you navigate this complex field? I mean, I can barely say your title without tripping up. You know, certainly basic engineering and science skills are, are always paramount, right, in terms of being able to be at the top of your field and in, uh, in what you're doing. Um, but, you know, that's only half the story, right, only half the battle. Uh, being able to communicate your ideas uh, is important. There are plenty of people here who can, you know, solve a problem and get to the, uh, get to the answer and bring that forward. And some of these problems are very difficult. Uh, but if you can't convince everyone else that your answer is correct um, and, you know, bring those, those kind of communication skills to bear, uh, you're going to be in trouble. Right, uh, just being right is not enough. You need to be right and be able to tell, to convince everyone else that you're right. And I think that's a, a piece that's uh, usually not communicated well, ironically, um, in a uh, in a typical STEM field education. Uh, so I think that's uh, it's a missing piece of emphasis that uh, it's not enough to be technically skilled. You have to also be skilled in communications to be able to advance these projects to where they need to be. The stereotypical image of an engineer or a rocket scientist, in my mind, is someone who is inherently an introvert. Now, obviously, this is an oversimplified stereotype. Yet, you just mentioned how communication is equally as important of skill as the actual science involved. How did you come to this realization and then acquire these skills? You know, usually 
you're taught in an engineering and math and science sense to get to the one answer. Uh, but in reality, right, when you're out in the real world and dealing with real projects, there's often not one right answer. So there's the consideration of alternatives and trying to put those uh, on the table and, you know, what's more or less bad than other things. Um, so trying to frame those, those decisions for other people um, based on, you know, what you see, I think is an important skill. And then knowing when to walk away, right, the, the negotiation-based skills that uh, are a big part, I think, of... Uh, of the MBA education uh, are part of that as well, trying to figure out uh, where your negotiation power is and uh, what you should be willing to accept and what you shouldn't be willing to accept. Um, although, you know, you're, you, you're used to science quizzes ending with, you know, here's the answer key. There's no answer key in the real, real world. So uh, being able to, to make those arguments based on incomplete information um, and to, uh, to frame those in a way that you think makes sense uh, were all skills that I picked up along the way, both uh, from working and also at uh, at Anderson. Amazing. And when in your career trajectory did you decide to attend Anderson? It was actually uh, fairly early on. I think I um, got, an, got an MBA a couple years into, uh, uh, while working on uh, what became the Mars Science Laboratory mission that uh, delivered the Curiosity mission. So I was working on a flight project then at the time and figured, huh, you know, I've got to uh, I've got some extra time, I guess, when, you know, I don't need to sleep or anything. So uh, why not go ahead and try this, uh, this MBA thing since, uh, since Anderson uh, offered the fully employed MBA program. Um, so I got an opportunity there to, uh, to try out some things that I, you know, really had never done before um, in terms of building business plans and understanding the financial side of things. And really some more basic things that, uh, you know, stuff that they don't usually focus for engineers on. Things like communicating your ideas and pitches um, and the value propositions of things. And negotiation. Uh, things that, uh, that, ironically, I use every day in my life but, uh, and at work as an engineer, uh, but, not, but are not things that are typically taught to engineers uh, in school. So you completed your MBA while working for NASA. Wow. You must have had a very proud mother. Looking back, do you think it was advantageous to go this route? Doing it while I was out of work, I kind of had an, an understanding of what things that I was learning in school might apply. I think that's kind of the uh, the benefit of going to work and then maybe doing it while uh, do, doing the uh, doing the education part while still working. Um, you can try out things right away um, in your real life and uh, and in real work environment and uh, and see how they work. So I thought uh, that was extremely helpful across the years. Um, I've learned a lot of uh, tricks is probably too strong, but strategies really for uh, for approaching different problems um, that are not, I think, standardly taught from uh, from a purely uh, engineering based education. Any other insights that you learned during your time at Anderson that you still apply today? I also really enjoyed the uh, working with companies abroad. Got the opportunity to head out to uh, to Barcelona um, and work with a with, with a company to try to develop a business plan, which I thought was, uh, you know, has echoes in in everything I do uh, because it's all about uh, trying to understand what uh, what different people can offer and what different organizations can offer each other, uh, which is a big piece of the puzzle here. Uh, since really no one no one person and certainly no one organization can do something like what we're trying to do at Mars uh, with the Mars Sample Return Program. It's become a uh, not just a across the United States effort, uh, but also a multinational effort. Uh, we're working with the European Space Agency very closely uh, to do this. So having the opportunity to travel abroad, work with folks from Europe, um, and communicate with them and understand their problems uh, were, uh, was super helpful along the way. Let's take it way back, way before you received your MBA or were hired by NASA. 
Were you always interested in space? Yeah, it's interesting. I always uh, liked the stars and looking up at the uh, the night sky from where I grew up in uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, and I always like to joke that uh, I'm not good enough at physics to uh, to be an astronomer, but I'm good enough at uh, physics to solve F equals ma over and over again, which is all you really need to do as an engineer. And can you give us a rundown of your educational and career trajectory? You knew you liked the stars, but then how did you get to where you are now? Sure. Uh, let's see. I went to college at uh, MIT. Um, stayed there for both a bachelor's and master's degree, um, and then headed right here, actually, to uh, to NASA and JPL, um, and started here about 19 and a half years ago. Um, it's interesting. I, I had a background in systems engineering um, and guidance navigation and control, um, specifically in an area called formation flight. Um, but what they wanted me to do um, was to work on Mars right away. Uh, I worked on a mission called uh, that back then that uh, was called Mars Smart Lander. It was all about uh, trying to develop new ways to uh, to land bigger things on Mars. We kind of gotten to the limit of what we could do um, based on systems like airbags um, and other things that you might have heard about uh, that we landed things like um, Mars Pathfinder and the Spirit and Opportunity rovers with. Um, so the idea was to uh, try to come up with a new way of doing things to be able to land bigger and better things on Mars to allow um, us to bring more capabilities to bear on the surface of Mars. Now let's return to the current mission at Mars for a moment. Why do you think Mars is of such interest to people? Why does it continue to capture so much of our imagination? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of common history between, uh, between Earth and Mars, and that's kind of one of the fun things about exploring Mars, is that uh, by exploring uh, our nearest uh, neighbor in the solar system and really in the universe, uh, we can learn about ourselves, right? Uh, both the uh, Earth and Mars are about four and a half billion years old, and we know that the, uh, the first evidence of life here on Earth was found about four billion years ago or so, about three and a half to four billion years. And, and it happens to be that Mars at itself at that time was also habitable based on the, the work that we've seen. So at the same time that life took hold here on Earth, the conditions were there for it to take hold on Mars. So can we, you know, what does that tell us about, uh, about what we can, you know, what we know about the rest of the solar system and about the universe um, if we can find uh, any evidence of past life on Mars? So that, you know, it's a pretty exciting thing to, to think about. It's so exciting, no matter who you are, what country you are from, what age you are, the idea of Mars and finding alien life. It's interesting to everybody. That universal interest, to me, is what makes what you do so exciting. A discovery you make is a discovery for all of humanity. Now, when does the Mars rover return to Earth? So we're actually not bringing the rover back home to Earth. We're going to bring back the samples that the rover is taking uh, here uh, here to Earth. Um, Perseverance, uh, which is the the latest in our set of rovers that uh, have been sent to the to the Red Planet, um, is there and is studying an area called Jezero Crater, where we have this river delta, or at least ancient river delta, that was deposited there. Um, and a lot of scientists like to tell me that there's no river delta here on Earth that you can't find evidence of life in. Um, so this is the greatest place I think that we can find to to go find the, that evidence of past life on Mars. Uh, but what Perseverance is doing there is collecting the evidence to bring back here to Earth. So it's uh, it's there taking core samples of different rocks that kind of that the history of Mars is buried within, um, and to bring those samples and, and and store them in these tubes that we will pick up with the rest of our sample return campaign, launch off the surface of Mars, uh, pick up in an orbiter, and bring all the way here home to Earth. It's amazing that we can take knowledge from our planet and apply it directly to Mars. The idea of abundant life in river deltas is therefore a universal truth. I want to propose a fun thought experiment here. What are some universal truths in business? Just like searching for life on the red planet, are there universal truths that can be applied to business no matter what the situation is? I think so. 
A couple that come to mind are the customer's always right. Innovate or die. Passion equals payoff. No one succeeds alone. You get the idea. Now, Al, I'm curious. Are there other facts about Mars that you think the listeners probably don't know? <laughs> There's lots of uh, lots of fun things about Mars. Uh, I'm originally uh, spent the first 20 years of my career or so uh, trying to land on Mars. So the things that make Mars different uh, make it really hard to land. Uh, you know, Mars's atmosphere is only about one percent the density of Earth's, so it's uh, there's enough atmosphere that you have to contend with it, and you want to use it, but not enough to be really useful. Um, the uh, you know, think, think you think of uh, capsules here landing on on Earth under giant parachutes, and that's kind of all you need. Uh, but if you tried to do that at Mars, uh, you'd have a bad day because that atmosphere is really thin. The parachutes don't don't do as much. Um, you know, here it's sufficient to have parachutes and splash down in the water. You're coming down nice and soft, even with a lot of mass, because you have a nice thick atmosphere to use. Um, but Mars's atmosphere has been stripped away over the years, um, and so it's really thin. It's like the atmosphere here up at like 130,000 feet above the ground. Um, if you think about it, not many planes or anything can fly up that high. Pretty much nothing can fly up that high because the air is so thin. Um, and yet here we are trying to uh, to take our, our big rovers and whatnot and stop there on Mars. So that's kind of one of the most interesting and most challenging things for me about Mars. Uh, but when you look at the terrain, um, because there are no oceans on Mars, or at least not any oceans anymore, um, although the planet is significantly smaller than Earth, it has about the same amount of landmass. And it's got a lot of the same things that you see uh, here on Earth, which I think is what you know captures the imagination. Um, you know, you see sand dunes, you see uh, deltas and cliffs and scarps and all sorts of uh, all sorts of terrain that is very familiar to that of Earth. I mean, I think that's kind of uh, one of the exciting parts about Mars is that it's dissimilar in many ways, right? The, the atmosphere is different, but still similar enough that uh, it's got that alien feel, but still somehow familiar. I love it. So what's next with the Mars 2020 mission? When will we have some results or pick up those samples? Yeah, the, uh, the thing about the sample return campaign is it's going to take those 10 years and a little bit more, actually, to bring those samples back here to Earth. So I've got a job for a while. Um, you know, it's to, uh, to make sure that not only can we get to Mars again, but to bring those samples back here to Earth. Um, and it's going to take that decade for us to be able to do it. Al, I read that you're interested in exploring one of Jupiter's moons, Europa. What makes that so interesting to you? Now, Europe is an interesting, uh, fascinating place. We're actually sending a uh, an orbiter to the Jovian system specifically to su to study uh, Europa soon. Actually, the Europa Clipper mission. Um, Europe is an interesting place, right? It, it's covered in ice. Um, there's probably more water based on what we've done, uh, the work that we've seen in the scientific work and remote sensing that we've done. There may be more water uh, on Europa underneath that ice cap than there is on the entire Earth. Um, used to be, uh, I don't know how old you are or if you're as old as me, they used to teach you that... Uh, uh, you know, there, there was a, a habitable region, right? A certain distance from the sun that's about as far away as the earth is. And that's, the, that's where life could be uh, around the sun. But things have changed um, since, uh, since then, right? Uh, there are other places in the solar system that are not as close to the sun, like Europa, um, that are warm enough to support liquid water um, because of the, uh, the gravitational effects of, uh, of Jupiter on the moons and squishing it and relaxing it and squishing it. Uh, keeps it nice and warm. Um, so there's more, you know, most scientists believe now based on the evidence that there's more liquid water on Europa than there is on Earth. Um, and of course, liquid water is a is a uh, very important building block for life as we know it. Um, so it's a, it's an exciting target for uh, for thoughts about whether uh, current life could exist beyond uh, beyond Earth. The idea that our understanding of where life can live is evolving, that's fascinating. And it makes perfect sense. We can only know that which we can observe. A millennium ago, all of the top scientists thought the world was flat. 
Why? Because they didn't have the ability to observe the Earth as a whole or other planets in our solar system. It's amazing to think of certain parameters that we view as truths and absolutes now and how those will be shaped by future discoveries. Okay, so to wrap up the conversation, I wanted to ask you the burning question you must be asked all the time. Will we ever live on Mars? I think it's certainly something that uh, is within our capability to do eventually. Um, it's just a question of about our will. Um, so I think uh, it's very likely that, uh, that something like that will be possible and we'll do it someday. What an amazing conversation, delving into the search for life in our solar system. Being the business-minded MBA that I am, I couldn't help but pull out a couple analogies from what Al was saying and filter it through a business lens. Follow the water is first and foremost. Figuratively speaking, that's the motto hanging above the door at NASA. What's the motto hanging above your own door or the door to the company that you're trying to build or go to work for? Secondly, the idea of using what's worked in the past, or if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Al is searching ancient riverbeds on Mars for life because here on Earth, those places are filled with examples of past and present living organisms. And lastly, the concept that our thoughts and ideas evolve. Whereas we used to believe that life could only exist in a very narrow Goldilocks zone, we are now learning that this model could be outdated exemplified by the example of Jupiter's moon Europa. What outdated model are you or your business running on? Maybe it's as simple as updating the software on your computers or more nuanced, like making your workplace a more inclusive environment. The key here is not to fall behind, to always be innovating. This is one of the reasons MBA programs are filled with such diverse populations, varying in both age and career accomplishments, because no matter what you think you know, and investment in knowledge pays the best interest. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Stay with us this season on YMBA for many great stories to come. And be sure to check out Anderson on social media at UCLA Anderson. <laughs>